the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Well, good evening. My name is Richard Judd, and along with my wife, Alison, I've been a member here at Belmont for about 10 years. Tonight, I've been invited to lead us as we explore week three and chapter three in our series, We Are Church, exploring the book of 1 Corinthians. So let us start. I wonder if you recognise this person. Tara won the Secondary School Teacher of the Year Award back in 2022. In fact, this year, 2023's uh, winners will be announced in November. Now, I'm sure, like all of us here, I have memories of my own education, the teachers which I thought were great and the teachers who I thought were, well, not quite so great. I wonder for those teachers that you thought were great or perhaps you were less enthusiastic about, how you decided whether they were good or bad. Now, the competition committee for the Teacher of the Year believe that great teachers change the children and other adults they come into contact with for the better. Great teachers positively influence the lives of those around them. And you know what? I think the Apostle Paul would agree. The advice and instructions he gives in 1 Corinthians to the young Christian church in Corinth is all about changing their lives for the better. Now, the first way he tries to do this in chapters one through to four is to teach the community and the teachers what the characteristics of a good teacher actually are. So in a minute, I'm going to read chapter three to us. You may want to find it now. Tonight, in particular, we're going to be focusing in on verses 10 through to 17. But the verses either side give context to Paul's message in these eight verses. Now, for some reason, when I was reading this chapter in preparation for tonight, I was reminded of a particular Clint Eastwood film. Now, some of the younger members of our congregation may struggle to even know who Clint Eastwood was, never mind what films he was in. But in the series of spaghetti westerns, those those westerns uh, created and filmed by an Italian team. In 1966, my favourite film the good, the bad and the ugly. So why did this film title come to mind? Well, I think in verses 10 through to 17, Paul is talking about three types of teachers who were influencing the Corinthian church. So as I read the whole of chapter three to us now, see if you can spot the explanations of what makes a teacher good, bad or ugly. So 1 Corinthians 3, starting with verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you claim to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, 
I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose and each will be rewarded according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. In verse 10, Paul uses the analogy of constructing a building to talk about the beliefs and lifestyle the teachers are encouraging or influencing the community to live by. So let me read verse 10 again. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. Did you notice Paul's warning? But each one should build with care. Those who come after him need to think about what their finished building will look like. Paul raises the question. Are they good builders, bad builders, or even ugly builders? In reality, of course, he's asking everyone, the teachers and community in general, to assess what impact, what influence the teachers are having on the community. What impact will their words and advice have on the heads, the hearts and the hands of the people of God in Corinth? Paul then helpfully, I think, reminds them in verse 11 what should lie at the heart of their teaching? What should shape the design or vision they have for the Corinthian Christians? For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see, the heart, the centre, the core of their community's faith should be the teaching about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. 
because Jesus is the reason why the community gathers together in the first place. Why people have left their old lives behind, maybe even families and friends, maybe even workplaces. Why they can hope for the future and why they can know the peace of God in their present lives, no matter what their circumstances. It's all down to Jesus Christ. What he has, is and will do in their lives. We then learn in verses 12 through to 15 that not all the teachers are good teachers. Using the analogy of building again, the good builders use gold, silver and costly stones, whilst the bad builders use wood, hay and straw. We'll come back to the ugly teachers in verses 16 and 17. But here it looks like the teachers have been given are giving different answers, perhaps, to questions such as whether Christians can eat meat offered to idols, attend civic events held in the temples. Perhaps there is disagreement over how to live as a Christian couple as they wait for Jesus Christ to return from heaven. What is the proper way to worship God when the community gathers together? This small, young Christian community in Corinth is living amongst other cultures, other influences, perhaps other people living the lifestyle that they themselves used to live until they met or encountered Christ. So if this community, as they're wrestling to work out what it means to live for Christ in Corinth, have been given different answers to the questions, which teacher I wonder if they're asking the question, which teacher has the right advice? Which teacher is good? Which has built using gold, silver or costly stones? Now, Paul gives them some advice on how they will know which teachers were right. Paul tells the people they will fully know when the day comes, which he mentions in verse 13. Now, the day Paul is referring to is the day of the Lord. That time when God steps into time and space to judge the world and those who worship him join in the new heavens and the new earth mentioned in Romans 8 and Revelation 22. After all, fire mentioned here in this passage is a common theme of judgment or testing throughout the Bible. And verse 14 tells us that those who are teaching uh, what was right will be rewarded. Although actually, if you notice, they don't, Paul doesn't indicate what the reward actually is. The good teachers who have guided the people in ways of righteousness, who have correctly discerned the Spirit's guidance and God's will for his church in Corinth, God will recognise their faithfulness. So what about the bad teachers? Those who got it wrong whose teaching did not always help the people to become more Christ-like in their daily lives. Surely God will be angry with them and punish them, reject them, turn away from them. Well, look at verse 15 again with me. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So if their teaching is declared wrong, they will suffer loss. There will be no reward for them and they will know that what they taught was wrong, misguided, unhelpful. 
but yet they will be saved. Despite their failure to teach the people the truth, they will still walk in the new creation. They will still come into the presence of God. God knows they got it wrong, but still accepts them. God remains faithful to those who got it wrong. For those of you who may worry about losing your salvation if you mess up, here is a passage, I think, which I hope encourages you, which reminds you of God's loving and patient grace for those who seek to walk with him. And I think the words who seek to walk with him are really, really important in understanding this passage. Let me take you back to verses 11 and the start of verse 12 again. For no one can lay any foundations other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation, and it goes on to talk about gold, wood, etc. The bad teachers, those who created a building out of wood, hay, straw, they were still trying to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Their foundational focus, their foundational knowledge, their passions was all about the foundation of Jesus Christ. They knew that Jesus had died on the cross for them. They knew that Jesus sacrificed himself to purify them, to redeem them, to justify them, to heal them from sin, from their selfish words and deeds, from their love of creation rather than love of the creator. They truly believed that God had given them a message to build on the foundations of Jesus, the Son of God. Yes, they got it wrong at times, maybe most of the time. But God's grace still saved them through the, their loyalty to Jesus. So Paul tells the Corinthians that there are both good and bad teachers among them, both building on the foundations of Jesus Christ. And at the end of time, we will know who was good and who was bad. Even if we're not too sure yet in our present time, which are the good and which are the bad teachers. So, so far we've explored the good and the bad. And now in verses 16 and 17, things turn ugly. Contrast what we have already heard from Paul about builders and what they are teaching the church in verses 12 through 15 with verses 16 and 17. Let me read 16 and 17 again to you. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Well, did you spot quite an obvious contrast, I think? In 12 through 15, the builders, i.e. the teachers, are all saved, whether their work is good or bad. But here, Paul now talks about teachers being destroyed. What has changed so that he can talk of destruction rather than salvation? Remember those conditions for building Paul gave back in verses 10 and 11. He warned them to build with care and taught, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. In verses 16 to 17, Paul is talking about those teachers who've moved away from the foundation of Jesus. 
They are removing or undermining the temple's foundations. Without foundations, of course, buildings collapse. The temple is destroyed. These teachers are not teaching the foundational truths that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, that no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. And verses 18 and 23 take that a step further and explain what these teachers are teaching. They tell us that some teachers are teaching God's people to reject the truth of Jesus and instead follow the wisdom of other philosophies and religions. The theme of wisdom comes a time and time again in chapters 1 through to 4 of 1 Corinthians. This is what verse 18 says in chapter 3. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. The ugly teachers are destroying the people's faith in God by telling them to follow other philosophies, maybe even other gods. And so in chapter three, Paul is reminding the community of faith to hold on to the foundation of faith, which he taught Jesus. And to know that amongst them were possibly good teachers, bad teachers and some who were downright ugly teachers. Well, what does this all mean for us in Exeter in the 21st century? Well, for a start, I'm not going to ask you to hold up voting cards on whether you think I'm good, bad or ugly. But I think Paul's letter to the church in Corinth should make us all reflect on who we have heard, watched or read over the years. Who has influenced us on our own journeys of faith and who have we influenced on their journeys of faith? I have seven takeaways or points of reflection for 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I know very clearly that seven points is far too many for you to perhaps hold on to all of them. But may I encourage you to spend some time this week reflecting on perhaps one, two or three that really resonate with you the most. So let's go through them quite quickly. Takeaway one. Paul warns us that Christian teachers, those who influence our beliefs and actions, may not um, always get, get it right. They may not always discern the spirit correctly. This suggests to me that we must be careful to not put our teachers, those we listen to, watch and read, on a plinth, raise them above everyone else, see them as more valuable than anybody else. We should not accept what they say unconditionally, uncritically, simply because perhaps they're a well-known person. They have a title like pastor, minister or professor. That they come from our tribe within the evangelical community, we feel at home with them. Or that they're good communicators and easy to listen to. Sadly, over the last few years, there have been some very well-known people who have got things wrong, very wrong, in the news, that stick, who have discredited Christianity. So let's respectfully listen to each other, listen to people. But let's do it actively rather than passively. Takeaway number two. We also need to be wary of becoming overly dependent on the teaching ideas or thoughts of perhaps one or two Christian teachers, partly for the reason I've already mentioned in takeaway one. 
the I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas problem in 1 Corinthians. Now, what I really appreciate about Belmont, one of the things that attracted Alison and myself to the church is that we're not a one man ministry church here. And of course, it normally is a one man. We regularly hear a range of voices speaking to us Sunday by Sunday and that those voices come from across the evangelical spectrum. We are a broad family at Belmont within the broader evangelical tradition. And I think that's valuable to hear different voices. Takeaway three, again, building on this. At Belmont, we believe in learning through dialogue and not monologue. If it is as all possible, which sounds a bit weird coming from somebody standing at the front and talking tonight. But often we've tried in our services and around our services to build in times for dialogue. We believe that learning together as a community, asking and answering questions, perhaps asking the speaker a question after the service or emailing them later in the week. I'm always open to being invited out to coffee to have a chat. We discuss the Sunday talk often in our home groups. If a teacher you listen to, read or watch is not willing to dialogue, then I think that should start alarm bells ringing. If they shut down debate rather than open it up. Takeaway four. It is spiritually healthy every now and again to ask yourself, who are your main teachers? One way to do this is to have a look at your own Christian book collection if you're a reader. Another is to look at your which websites are your favourites or who do you follow on social media? Which podcast do you listen? YouTube channels that you follow? These will help us to understand which teachers are influencing us. Now, I did a little audit of my own book collection at home to see who were the authors uh, I am potentially influenced by the most. And I came up with Stanley Grenz, 18 books, Tom Wright, 15 books, Scott McKnight, 11 books, David Gushy, six books. And there were plenty of others that maybe I had three or four books. But something that stood out to me straight away from that list was the lack of female voices and the voices of, of those from outside of America and the UK. This is definitely something I need to work on. As a white male of a certain age, of a very comfortable economic circumstances and situations. I myself recognise I will be blinkered to some other people's lived experiences. When I come to a text, when I read the Bible, I'm bringing my own background to the text. So it's important to listen to other voices to help me understand and to hear other viewpoints. Takeaway five. To test whether we have gold, silver or costly stones, it can be good to deliberately read, watch or listen to people from outside our own theological bubble. Perhaps people who hold a different viewpoint, a theological viewpoint, a lived experience viewpoint to our own. Psychologists warn about confirmation bias where we're more likely to agree with arguments that support our own position and we're more critical of arguments that don't support it. We also talk about echo chambers and we know that social media is programmed to help us to hear more voices similar to our own. So we have to be active in seeking out other voices. 
These people may still live, work and worship within the evangelical family of faith, but come at things differently from what you or I do. So as well as reading and listening to people such as Tom Wright and Scott McKnight, for example, I deliberately and regularly read and listen to people like Preston Sprinkle, Michael Bird and Tom Keller. Now, I agree with a lot of their teaching, but not all of it. They themselves come from a more reformed wing within the evangelical community. My background in spirituality and theology is much more Wesleyan in its background. So I think it's helpful for me to interact with people who, in many cases, I agree with a lot of what they say, but not all. And then from time to time, I'll even read and listen to contributions from organisations and individuals where I have less in common. Perhaps for me, it's the Gospel Coalition webs uh, website. They're theologically very different from me, and yet they're still Christians and still seeking to love the Lord Jesus. Takeaway six. So how do we know whether what someone is teaching us is good or bad or maybe even ugly? Let's follow Paul's advice and start by listening to how they talk about Jesus. Does what they're teaching have Jesus, his life, death and resurrection at its centre? Ask yourself, how do they handle the Bible? I believe we have the Bible God wanted us to have and use to discern his will, his plan for his creation. Do they acknowledge the Bible was written for us, but not to us? That's a really important point. That we have to understand the social, political and economic culture of the original audiences to use it to build with gold and not with wood. Do they hold to the early church summaries of faith, perhaps the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creeds and those early church councils where the life of Jesus and who Jesus was was wrestled with and time was spent articulating and summarising it? I also want to ask, are they themselves seeking to become more Christ-like in their words and deeds? Can I see, can you see Jesus in their life? And our final takeaway, takeaway seven. On some points of Christian life and faith, we may not know yet what is gold and what is wood. Paul talks about knowing on the day of the Lord, at the end of time when Jesus returns. So Paul seems to suggest that even amongst those who are faithfully serving God, those who proclaim that Jesus is Lord, there will be differences of opinion. Some will be right and some will be wrong on a particular issue. While the Bible and the early church creeds and councils give strong guidance on the foundations of our faith, on the significance of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there are other areas of Christian knowledge and living where there is not consensus. Let's take the simple example of baptism. There are two clear traditions in the church about who can be or should be baptised, and they're mutually exclusive. The debate over baptism is a second order issue. Yes, it's important, but not essential for our faith and salvation. We can agree to disagree on the issue and continue to fellowship with each other. 
We can maintain our Christian unity despite our diversity on this view because both groups are building on the foundations of Jesus Christ, which is a primary order issue, or as Paul calls it, foundational. Beliefs about Jesus are foundational, are essential to our identity as Christians, hence why Paul rejects the ugly teachers. Debates around secondary matters are still important, but perhaps we sometimes need to hold them more lightly given what we have heard from 1 Corinthians tonight. So to wrap up, Paul reminds us tonight to always seek to be part of a building, part of a community of God's people who are building with gold, silver and costly stones. I wonder if over the years you have changed your position on second order issues yourself. Because I know I have. As I've explored scripture and listened to a range of voices, I came to realise that some of those I'd listened to in the past were building with wood, not gold. And Belmont too has changed its position on some second order issues. So let us continue to love God and love our neighbours as we seek to discern what it means to live as faithful children of God here in Exeter in 2023 as we seek to build God's church as we seek to be a light in the darkness 